This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. Win, lose, or draw, McDelivery will always help bring home the free points. And speaking of points, order now on the McDonald's app and you'll earn reward points through every delivery. Order today, rewards tomorrow. You win? Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards, registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Support for today's Blues Focus podcast is brought to you by none other than Manscaped. Manscaped specialised in all your below-the-waist grooming needs. They've only just recently landed in the UK, so you could be first one of the first men in the country to even try out their products. So uh, get looking at them now. They're definitely big in other countries. And they finally dropped in the UK. To get 20% off plus free shipping, use the code BLUESFOCUS20 at manscaped.com. Hello and welcome to the Blues Focus podcast with me, your host, John Graham. Once again, many thanks for taking the time to download this pod. And as ever, please make sure you leave comments and rate what you, you see or hear. And please, you know, spread the word. Our audience is growing exponentially. Uh, we're really chuffed with the way it's going. And certainly over the last few weeks, we've had some amazing uh, guests and today is no different but first up uh tom how are you good thank you mate you oh yeah not too bad looking forward to the game tonight and looking yeah. forward to speaking to our guest uh made 90 appearances for blues scoring a couple of goals in a really interesting period in the club's history probably one that will take a while to repeat we'll, we'll focus on one particular <laughs> era of the, of the club but um steve corbell thanks very much for joining us how are you I'm great. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, very excited to come on. And um, yeah, two years, 90 games, but really like an amazing time. I absolutely love playing for Birmingham City. I really mean that. Um, I do say that about most of my clubs, most of my <laughs> clubs, I have to say. And I mean it, but, but I, I really enjoyed the first year at Birmingham. It was one of my favourites my entire career. Yeah, I think as uh, Blues fans that, that were sort of on that journey, it was uh, feels a lifetime ago, to be brutally honest with you, but, uh, you know, cherished memories, which we'll come on to. But it, I suppose, obviously, back in the day when you were playing for sort of Hutchinson Vale with your brother, how did it all sort of kick off for you? Were you very much a football family or was that just a passion that you and your brother got into? How did it all start for you? Yeah, we, we were a football family. My uh, my dad played semi-professional. He played uh, sort of lower league Scotland. He was a very good junior player when it was a, you know, a strong place to play back in the day. Um, there was a lot of good players in junior football in Scotland, and uh, he played for like Stenishmuir and East Stirling and, and, and some of these guys as well a little bit. So he was a sporty guy. My dad. He was uh, he enjoyed playing soccer. He wasn't a massive football fan. He never really had a team or. 
an affiliation to anyone really. So um, we grew up in my football household. We were kicking a ball for the first minute we could walk. And uh, yeah, when you've got a sibling that's 18 months younger than me, Gary, is, um, you've got a partner there, haven't you? And you can go yeah. to the local park, the school, and <clears> the back garden, and you've got someone who, you know, you knock it against the wall, you've actually got a partner. So it was, uh, I think that we both say that a massive part of our successful careers was was having that partner to A, practice with, and B, challenge and, and compete with, and to push yeah. you on and, and strive to be bigger and better and, and do more. So, I mean, I, I guess as, as you, know, you know, two brothers in, in, in that sort of the area and over time probably got quite a lot of profile, I would imagine, because it, it tends to be the case, doesn't it? If you've got sort of siblings that are, you know, starting to, I guess, achieve quite a high standard of, of play. Who was sniffing around you in the early days? Yeah, the early days, I think the first club was Heart of Midlothian in Edinburgh. Uh, they came calling um, through a, a strong friend of ours now, a guy called Scott Gibson who was scouting for them at the time. Um, and and the idea back then was that you went to a Scottish club and you sort of joined their, their, um, their regional school of excellence, basically, wasn't it? But, you know, yeah. you played in the central area for Hearts and Falkirk, sort of 15 minutes for the home. And, and then eventually, at times, you would come together and you'd play with a wider kind of like national group if you were good enough. And so the first club was Hearts, great club, great training, Strong friend, Scott became a friend of my, my mum and dad's and, and of course a, a big influence in Gary and I's career because he ultimately left Harps and went to Newcastle. So you <laughs> see the connection there. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute, but the connection's there with, with Scott. But it was first Harps and then it was, we liked to keep our options open. So my dad was, I guess, quite forward thinking. A lot of parents, you know, were sort of persuaded into, the kids were persuaded into signing for one team, becoming a schoolboy, signing schoolboy forums and being stuck with that team. But my dad was like, why would you do that? Keep your options open, go and experience everywhere and, and then eventually go and experience England yeah. and see what you think there. So we always kept our op options open and, you know, it wasn't really the done thing, but thankfully we were good enough that we kept getting invited everywhere. So we, we always had, uh, you know, three or four clubs at least on the go until yeah. we eventually signed for, for Newcastle. So, so obviously, the, I think you were at 14 when you signed, where you first sort of, you know, you, you made your way down there. Just from a, I, I take it at that age, you didn't move down, did you? Were you commuting? What, how did it work out? Yeah, the, 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 the first English club I went to was Newcastle. I think I went when I was 12, um, and I went with a group of guys, one of them still one of my best friends in the world, that first trip. We stayed in a guest house, and I just that was what kind of gripped me that connection way back then. We lived with an old, old colonel, we called him the colonel. He, uh, he run this guest house and he, he had all the Newcastle stories, he'd been a fan his entire life. And I was just captivated by the club and the, the sort of romanticism around Newcastle and, and what it meant to pull in that black and white strip and how important it was to the people. and so it resonated with me and, and, and you know, and as I went to try, oh, I don't want to say this on this podcast, but I actually went to Aston Villa for a week and... Uh, <laughs> That's long enough. <laughs> and I went to Man United and I went to, my brother went to Leeds, where else? I went to Chelsea. So I'm going around England and I kind of had my heart set on signing for an English Premier League team at that time and yeah. going around England and, and I kept thinking, wow, Newcastle's just dragging at my heartstrings and... Um, you know, made, made the jump, 
signed for them eventually at sort of 14 and commuted down like every weekend, most wow. weekends, yeah, as a kid. And even to the point where I was jumping on a train on my own when I was like 15, you know, which is kind of incredible. My kids are 12 and 13 and I don't I wouldn't let my 13-year-old go five kilometres up the road now, you know, but, yeah. but back then it was like you jumped on, went, walked to the station and still like, <laughs> Picked up my tickets. Uh, sometimes one of there. I had to have you know fifty quid in my pocket and dealing with money, knowing what you know value of things and yeah. getting to Edinburgh, jumping off that train, next platform, grabbing a sandwich and doing my homework on the train, all this kind of thing. So it really taught me about responsibility, accountability, and, and these things that were obviously going to become important in my career later on. Yeah. Do you think that sort of going through all of that? do you think it really focused the mind when you were playing? Because it's, you know, that's a lot of graft to go and play football, isn't yeah. it? So do you think it gave you that sort of motivation? So if, I, if I'm really putting the hard yards in just to be here, I better bloody perform while I'm here. Was it pressure or is it sort of that real drive to do it? Yeah, it's a great question because, you know, you think to yourself, I'm sure there was moments that the train gets cancelled and these things happened, you know, train yeah. got cancelled and I'm waiting on another one, another hour at the, the Waverley station in Edinburgh. And, you know, I'm sure there was moments, can't really remember, but you're probably going, do I really want this? Is this like, I'd rather be with my mates maybe, but I can never remember that one bit. It's, it's your, your life, you know, it's your love. You're, you're competing with hundreds of thousands, millions of other kids and, you know, you need to have that passion. So I, I never thought twice about it. It was what I loved. Um, you know, I was playing with the youth team pretty young and stuff like that. And and then I was really excited to get there because a lot of my, my mates were there. They were in the digs and they were yeah. they were full time. So, you know, I can remember just like desperate to get there and come bursting into my, my mate's room, uh, my, my mate Lee and, and, and Knights are who roomed together, an Irish lad and a Scottish lad and bursting in the room and catching up on what happened in the week and telling them and, I just lived for that, you know, and then bed early, game the next day. Often I'd stay the Saturday night and kind of hang about with them in Newcastle. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I would jump back in the train in the Saturday afternoon and get back. So, uh, yeah, when you think of the sacrifice and the the commitment that was needed to keep up the school work, because my mum was like, if these grades drop, you won't be going, you know. So I had to keep up with my school work. She kept saying, you need to be ready for university in case you... You break your leg. That's what we always said back then. Yeah. In case you break your leg, <laughs> a, a, a doomsday way of thinking about it. But that, you know, like uh, it was for me. It, I was always going to going to get there, going to have a chance uh, because I knew I was very dedicated uh, and committed, and and gave a hundred percent every time I, I trained or played. So when did you actually make the move? So you know, when you were in digs yourself, and you were, you know, you stopped doing that commute. Was that sort of sixteen, seventeen, or? Yeah, yeah. So I got a decent contract, and you know, a lot of guys were on sort of two, three year YTS. Well, um, because I had options, they, they gave me like a sort of like a little bit of YTS. Then I became a pro at seventeen. Yeah, that's what it was back then. You couldn't sign pro until you were seventeen. So, you know, I did did the YTS. Then I I got my pro contract. So I went at my school year finished just before I was seventeen, and I was right down there for that pre season. Uh, 19, what age is that? 96, 97, something like that. And um, and that was me. I was I was with the guys. We were in like this guest house back then. So we all had a room and um, some of us shared and we, we sort of ate in the, the dining room together and that. So it was a, a brilliant community. Like my mum and dad say we were kind of left to our own devices a bit too much. So they were, uh, <laughs> they weren't too happy with it because it was true. But there wasn't a lot of like... Um, 
um, what's the word like discipline? Chaperones. <laughs> so, so some guys fell for the wayside, but again, for me, it was just a great learning experience because it kind of taught you, like, you know, you, you, you need to find your own responsibility and make sure that you, you do the right things, you know, like it's easy to go and have a night out or, you know, whatever it may be, or stay up late or you have 10 girlfriends. But if you get these things at 16, 17, you're probably not going to get there, you know. So I kind of worked that out quickly and um, and thankfully, you know, again, my love to make it or my desire, my burning desire to make it. I don't even know if it was like a love. It was almost like a, I cannot fail, you know, that's yeah. kind of attitude that yeah. I had. And so I just wasn't going to let anybody down. I was going to get there by whatever means possible. And, and I guess just on that, how, how was that sort of, obviously, as you said, you were, obviously highly touted around lots of clubs people were you know really keen to sign you how was that sort of transition from you signed that sort of yts and then pro that sort of transition through the reserves and then ultimately when you're sort of getting to the point of making your i mean you're on the bench a couple of times at the end of one season was it was it a a straightforward road for you or were there bumps along the way how did it play out for you yeah it wasn't straightforward at all there was many many bumps um yeah it was interesting because you're they're trying to sign you and Kevin Keegan's meeting you at the hotel and, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of like in the changing room before. I, I remember being in the, the changing room before the, the famous um, Newcastle-Manchester United oh game where Cantona scored. And yeah. so I was part of that experience and, uh, you know, we're devastated when we lost the game. But to be part of that and then Kevin Keegan's there and he's arm ranging and the next thing you get there and you're just one of 40 something young guys, you know, and they're all over the country and, everyone's good and everyone wants it. And so the challenge comes in, you have your ups and downs, you learn how to cope with that. But the, the big challenge for me at Newcastle was that we kept changing managers. So Kevin yeah. changed and Kenny came in, which was amazing for me. Kenny tried to sign me for Blackburn and I, he's my hero, Kenny Dugleash. So that worked out well. And then I was pushing, but I was still young and it was going to take a bit of time as centre-back. And, um, and then... Kenny left and Rude came, Rude Hullet. Yeah. That was challenging. I was in and out and I had my bad moments. And then, you know, eventually Bobby was in there. And, and even under Bobby, um, they actually were going to release me. Okay. They were going to release me. Uh, I got told one, I want to say one Saturday after my kind of youth team game. And I was devastated, you know, crying for like hours. I was like, oh my gosh, where did I go for here? And I had a brilliant mentor, a guy called Tommy Craig, a Scottish, uh, my, my manager, reserve manager was Tommy Craig. And he said, you're playing on Monday, again at Villa Park, believe it or not. Um, we'll have, you know, speak to your agent, you'll be playing. There'll be scouts there. It was a big, big reserve game when it was at the stadium. So um, we got people there. I had a great game. Uh, a couple of kind of offers came in from championship clubs and... Um, and Newcastle then turned around and said, no, he's not for sale. So I was a little bit <laughs> by that, but also like, please, because I didn't want to leave Newcastle. I wanted to, 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 to sort of play that one first team game at least, you know, and um, and, and I kind of never looked back for that moment. I just kicked on and I got in the squad and I had my moments and, and, and played, you know, some, some great games. Never really became that regular that yeah. broke into that first team. And, and you know, again, I wish, I wish I'd done that, but, in reality, there was like five, six million quid centre-backs ahead of me and Woodgate signed and Woodgate was top, top drawer, you know. And so 
I understand that. You know, I I think I was sort of squad player level at that that time. We were finishing third and fourth. We were in the Champions. Yeah. We were a high standard, and you know, I wanted to play every week. But when I look back, I'm like, I was probably like squad player level standard for that team. And uh, I realised that I didn't want to be a squad player. I wanted to play every week and be important, yeah. whatever my level was. Yeah, and I think you know people. Um, probably more of, of Tom's age than certainly mine. Um, I mean, Newcastle around that era were just phenomenal and just reeled off, you know, Keegan Douglas, Hullet and Robson. I mean, Christ almighty, there's, yeah. there's some talent on and off the field there. I've had my fair nights of uh, being sat downstairs watching Premier League years and thinking, <laughs> how are Newcastle this good? <laughs> yeah, that, no, they were exceptional for a, for a good few seasons. But when we say Shearer, there was... We say Shearer, world record, 15 million quid. And there was 20,000 in the car park, big stage set up. And, you know, it really was like glamour times. And it is hard for a younger generation to remember that. It was yeah. it was the place to be, Aspria and Shearer and Ferdinand and Rob Lee and, you know, these these guys, like, everywhere. Like, it was amazing, amazing club to be at for a number of years. I mean, even your centre-halves like uh, Philip Albert was scoring... 40 yeah. yard chips, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's just yeah. insane. Yeah. Um, but so it, it sort of came to an end, and then you, and you made a very interesting move to that. One, yeah. So um, I, I, I don't know, talk, talk us through that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a, very, a very bold move to make. I'm on a, I'm on a short list here with, with guys that have crossed for, for Newcastle, Sunderland, or Sunderland to Newcastle. Um, so it kind of came about, I, I just said to you guys that I wanted to play. And so it was my, my chances were becoming more and more limited at Newcastle. And my sort of, my impatience and anxiety to play was getting stronger. So I was hitting 22, 23. And I'm starting to think, right, you know, I should be playing. And um, if it's not going to be here, it needs to be somewhere. And, you know, I was always um, perceptive enough to realise roughly where my level is. I mean, we, we always have to have that confidence and think we can play at a high level, but I was perceptive enough to know, right, I'm probably not walking into a Premier League team and, and, and playing every week. Um, what are my options? I was looking around, there was some options. And, and Mick McCarthy phoned me from Sunderland and said, we'd love to have you, you know, we're pushing to get up this year. Uh, this was in the sort of October, November of the sort of season that I would leave at the end of that season. And, um, and Mick was pushing to get me, wanted to get me in immediately, but he said, let's sign a pre-contract and you'll come in the summer. And yeah, I understood what the rivalry was between Sunderland and Newcastle, but I loved the Northeast and I, I knew what it was like to play in the Northeast. And I, I'm one of the unusual guys where I come from Scotland, so I don't really have that, um, what's the word, geographical kind of like, in yeah. the blood love for, for any of the teams, you know? Yeah. So I don't have that stigma around like Lee Clark, for example, who yeah. grew up in Newcastle and went to Sunderland. And he, he always has that pool phase, like his, his home home place, home village or whatever. Um, I never had that. And so I thought, why not? Like, what a great club in the Championship, probably not for long. Maybe I sign this pre-contract, I get there and we're in the Premier League. Or, you know they don't make it and, and I'm going to be one of the strongest teams in the championship. So I, I never really thought twice about it, guys. I just said, I'm going to do it. The Newcastle fans have seen that I, I give my all and if they don't like it, then yeah, I'll, I'll handle it. Yeah. 
for sure. Yeah. And, and obviously, successful Sunderland <clears throat> side, really. You know, got out, got out that championship. Mem- memories of getting out was that sort of. Uh, I suppose the the level of expectation as well is always there with Sunderland, isn't it? So was there pressure to do that? Yeah, big pressure, big pressure on us to to, to get up. They they lost the Palace a year before. I was watching that playoff and thinking, please get up because I wanted to be in the Premier League, and then yeah. never happened. And then when I arrived the next year, they had again there'll be a similar path to when we talk about Birmingham, but there was again a little bit of shedding and some bigger guys bringing in some money, getting rid of some heavy wages. And 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 we went and Mick signed some terrific players. He signed Stephen Elliott from Man City, yeah. um, who was in the sort of similar situation to me. He couldn't quite break in the first team, but was really talented. Um, Dean Whitehead, Liam Lawrence from yeah. uh, lower leagues, who went on to have outstanding careers. Um, and then we joined like Carl Robinson, who who had signed permanent for Portsmouth, Gary Breen, Marcus Stewart, um, these kind of guys. Jeff Whitley was there, Stephen Wright was there, Thomas yeah. Myra, Mark Pumer, two outstanding goalies. So I looked at it and went, if we gel here, we're going to be we're going to be strong. And it took us a while to gel, but when we did gel in the turn of the year, there was no looking back. I think we had won. 11 of the last 13, um, we drew one and lost the other, and we were just on a tear. We were in a three-horse three, uh, race with Ipswich and Wigan, and we just pulled away, and we must have won by about nine or ten points in the end, um, and we deserved it, and we were a really together team. There was a lot of accountability in that dressing room. Again, um, big um, big uh, similarities to my time at Birmingham, like big characters and... Um, and kind of like tough, tough guys. I, I don't mean tough, like they'll battle and fight. I sort of mean like tough pros and yeah, a, a great learning experience for me because I certainly wasn't of that, but I grew into that partly because of that dressing room, I have to say. And, and how did it differ when you when you sort of moved on to Burnley? Because it seemed to be obviously a little bit longer in the championship, but again, got yourself out of it. Was, was the experience with Sunderland sort of... Uh, you know, a, a big part of that for you, given that you'd done it and you'd sort of seen it before. And then I suppose you're obviously not a senior pro, but you were getting to that sort of exp- the experience curve. And I, I guess, did you sort of look back on your times at Sunderland when you're at, at Birmingham and say, actually, yeah, I, I know how to do this? Uh, yeah, I, I think it was different in terms of like the expectation. So, you know, is that big club like Sunderland, to me, still a Premier League club. I, I know it's an easy thing to say, but you have to prove that with the performances on the field. But when you look at the infrastructure at Sunderland, they're a massive club. Um, so that was always there. We got up, yo-yoing a little bit. But then when I went, I felt like Roy Keane, basically. Um, and it came out of nothing. It was it was like, as you can imagine, uh, if you're watching them on TV, Roy's quite um, tempestuous. <laughs> and um, it just kind of happened out of nothing. And it was, to me, it was a squabble that turned into like, um, irrevocable and, and, and I sort of like was being pushed at the door and I was I didn't really want to leave I was quite happy at Sunderland and um, it, I'd say 95% of the time Roy and I's relationship was fine and, and this thing happened and that was it and I was gone and I was driving to Burnley and I had no expectations I'd signed a good deal but I was you know you don't think of getting Burnley to the Premier League I have to say and we were in the middle of a 17 match winless run Wow. And it continued and continued to a point where I was thinking, what have I done? What? Why have I, I made this choice? You know, I have to say, I was, I was confused and I was, I was thinking, wow. And then we survived. We won a few games. 
the next season, we started okay. Steve Cotterell lost his job, unfortunately. Then Owen Coyle came in. Yeah. And his personality as a manager suited yeah. the players. Like, Steve had sort of set up the squad and he had bought some good players and he had sort of structured us. And then Owen came in and, like, freed us up a little bit and yeah. got the best of uh, some of our, like... Um, unsung heroes or, or guys that weren't the household names like like Wade Elliott who became a brilliant player but at the time nobody really knew who he was and then Owen pushed them on and and signed Chris Eagles and some some good players as well Stephen Thompson for, for Scottish um Scottish League I think he's playing at uh, was he at I don't know exactly no he was actually at Cardiff at the time but terrific player for what we were and when the momentum built and I started to feel it and I saw that we had the culture I could remember what it was like to win. Yeah. You know? and, and that's when I really went, right, I know how to steer us here. You know, I was a captain. I'm like, I know how to steer us and, and, and get us over the line here. And thankfully we did it at Wembley. And and just yeah. just sort of on, on that sort of time, you I think probably by then you'd you well, you definitely have made your debut for Scotland. What 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 did well, I mean, I know it's a bloody stupid question, what did it mean to play for your country? But I think more more to the point, what did it mean when you played with your brother? Because, I mean, yeah. that you're probably one of very, very few for, for that to happen. So, just talk us through that. Uh, yeah, it's um, yeah probably the pinnacle of my career, playing with my brother with Scotland. Um, and it was a long time coming because it was there was an expectation there. And then there was um, the 21s we played together. And so, everyone's like, momentum's building. These two guys are going to play together. And the, the previous brothers were like the Shaw brothers in 19... I want to say late fifties, early sixties. So it was a long time, and um, there was there was that feeling of you know this would be an incredible achievement. And then there was a period where we were in this. One was in the squad, one wasn't he? And then uh, one manager liked one brother and not the other. And then um, even at the point where we started being in the squads together, I think at Easter Road one one summer game against might be Trinidad and Tobago. Gary got subbed off for me. So we nearly played the same game, and but we we never played at the same time. This kind of thing. So when it actually happened, it was a great relief, uh, big honour, and um, we did it another two or three times. And so yeah, it's when I look back, standing there singing the national anthem, your brother's next to you. Wow! Like it really is stuff dreams are made of, and it's um, it's it's the ultimate thing. I I don't care what anybody says, like. You can play for some great clubs, but there's nothing like playing for your country. You're, you, you know, when you play for your club, big or small, people watch. But when you play for your country, your, your grand's watching, your, your parents are watching, your friends are watching, all your family, everyone in the country's watching, you know, and it's, yeah. uh, it, there's a lot of pressure on that, but it's a great feeling. It really is. Definitely. Yeah, it's one of them kind of goosebump moments in your career, I can imagine. And the thing is, with um, with Scotland, like, I do keep my, my eye on Scottish football, but I've always found the fan culture even more interesting than the football and how passionate it is over there. Yeah. So um, to be in front of a massive crowd like that of, of Scotland fans, you can just imagine the atmosphere was tasty, to say the least. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah, that was that must feel great. I was just going to say quickly, which uh, which promotion did you prefer, Sunderland or Burnley? <laughs> yeah, I always get asked this. Um, oh, it, it really is impossible. It's like what kid do you choose? You know, it's really, <laughs> it's, you, you can't say they're both different. 
you know, you love them just the same and you just sort of like um, remember the experience. But when I think back to like Wembley is the special part of the Burnley one, you know, yeah. like when you win a league, it's incredible because you, the highs and the lows and the moments, but, but I always wanted to play at Wembley. And so to lead a team out at Wembley and walk these steps and yeah, I have my own views on, you know, getting a trophy for winning the playoffs, but you get a trophy and you lift a trophy and um, that was absolutely incredible. I, I imagined it being an FA Cup as a kid, but um, but yeah, to lift some trophy, walk these steps was was a memory and an experience that, you know, I'll, I'll take to my grave. So, so after the, the Burnley experience, quick pit stop into into Wigan and then, then, then the call came along. So how did the whole Blues approach happen? Where did that come from? Uh, it's it's quite interesting actually. It, it came what I remember. Uh, it came kind of quite late, and um, I was I was at Wigan. I went as a stopgap. I'd been injured the season before, and my brother was there, and it, it worked out. But again, I realised I want to play. I want to play. I don't want to play five ten games a year. I want to play every week. And um, I got fit again, and I really thank Roberto Martinez um, and Wigan for giving me that opportunity. But I went to Wolves on Boxing Day, and um, I got dropped for my brother. And the game before, we played Everton at Goodison Park, and we drew 0-0. So I thought, I'm definitely playing. How can you drop a centre-back when he gets a clean sheet? Yeah. But my brother was coming back, and um, Roberto pulled me in the hotel, and he said... Um, he said, I'm leaving you out, I'm, I'm playing Gary. Um, and I was furious and mad and disappointed. And it was a massive game down near the bottom. And um, I said to him, uh, Gaffer, you know, this is not the time. Whatever you need for me today, I'm here for it. But I really want to speak about this, you know, during the week. But, you know, I'm behind this team 100%. And I would never say, I wouldn't have said that when I was 20-ish. This is me getting near 30 or just turned 30 at this point. And um, I said that and... The reason I'm telling this story is that when, when Chris Hutton actually phoned me and said, can you come and speak to me? I'd like to bring you to Birmingham. He told me that he just had Roberto Martinez on the phone. No. And Roberto Martinez had said, what a guy I was, what a character I had, you know. So, you know, it's like these little things, the, the chat that I had with Roberto after dropping me was like, what you did was like so unselfish and I'll never forget it and I'll kind of pay you back one day. I remember I'm having that chat and at the time I thought, well, he's just saying that, you know, button me up again. But he basically helped helped me get that move by speaking to Chris Hutton on the phone. And um, and when I came and met Chris at the Malmaison mailbox, um, we had a great chat and it just felt right. And I started to really, you know, think about it then. And um, I think I had Sean Dyche and, and Watford on the phone as well and were interested and, Ultimately, I just said Birmingham's a place. I could feel that it was my kind of club. It was a real people's club and well supported. And I just thought, yeah, this is a place for me. Well, it's interesting he took it to the Malmaison because it's a bit different to Small Leith, to be honest, mate. I think if you'd have gone to the garrison, it might have been different, to be honest. It'd been a fancy place, <laughs> didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah a couple of points in the George sign this, mate. But no. Um, so what, what was it about Chris? Because as a Blues fan, obviously it was that, that season was strange because obviously we, we got relegated. We'd had the, the high of winning the Cup. 
Um, Chris came in, it obviously came with a really good, I think, reputation because he'd, he'd been he'd been tucked up a couple of times, having done really yeah. good jobs at clubs uh, that had come to an end. And I think most Blues fans were quite interested to see how that was going to I was going to pan out, but I think you ask anybody, even at that time, and certainly now, just feels like a really good bloke. So, was is, is he like that in in real life? And obviously, he dealings with him is he just that that has he got that character? Yeah, um, completely genuine guy. Just what you see is what you get with, with Chris. Um, just a brilliant fella and and, and, and honest and genuine. Um, I just I met him and I just felt. He was the right guy at the right time, you know, and um, yeah, it was not a mistake. I'll tell you that. He actually, you know, became someone who I kind of leaned on and getting to that latter stage of your career, you're really starting to think, you know, what you want and, and you know what you're about, you know what your strengths are. And when you hear the guy across for you, like understanding that as well, then you feel good, you know, like yeah. he understood what I was good at. And he wanted me to come and do exactly that. So I think that's very important. You know, I wasn't saying we're going to press high and we're going to have you cover channels and, and you know, use your athleticism. He was saying lead and you'll be beside, you know, we don't know who at the moment, but Curtis will be here. And, you know, yeah. I think Scott, Dan was still there at the time. But basically I knew I was coming into a, a, a strong team and, um, and a manager that understood me and, Great, great man. Um, very organised. Um, doesn't complicate things and knows how to speak to people and knows how to get the best out of different personalities. That's all I can say on him. He's just, just one of my favourite managers I've ever worked under. Really, like yeah. I said, you guys at the start, the, the, one of the best years of my career. Yeah, I, I remember uh, I actually read about how you kind of likened him a bit to Owen Coyle. Um, yeah. very very similar players that just kind of were on that level with the players and really had a proper understanding and organised things well yeah Chris Chris, um, Owen liked to kind of joke with the players he was still like a bit of a player himself and he had that, yeah. that um, playful kind of attitude and, that. And, and, and Chris was like um, a bit more like serious and, yeah. and, and straight but but we'd always, yeah, I, I always remember our times. We, we warmed down at David Lloyd um, every every Wednesday or, or, or Sunday, often on a Sunday, and we'd get there and it was casual and people would come bit by bit in their cars and Chris would be sitting there and he'd have a chat with you and he'd ask about your family and he'd get to know you, he genuinely cared. And it wasn't always like football, football, and it wasn't always super intense. And um, I always tell people when, when, um, all my managers, and I could name them all, and you would be surprised. Chris might have been the scariest when he lost it. It was, it was such a reaction, and he was such a nice, placid guy. When he lost it, it was like you knew about oh, it. No <laughs> you know, you were this in the chair. And I always tell people that, and they're surprised. But I don't know if it was like he was genuinely that scary, or if I really didn't want to let him down, or just the respect I had for him. But I always felt like Chris was, you know, I never wanted to let the guy down. I wanted to make sure that I was giving my best and that I was, um, you know, delivering for him, basically. Definitely. And I think um, just, I suppose, quickly on that that first season you were at Blues, what was the squad like? What was the togetherness like? Because you had a long fixture list, to say the least. Yeah, uh, brilliant. Brilliant. Good people. Um 
like when I first got there, that we knew there was going to be turnover. Uh, but I have to say, the guys that were there were terrific. Roger Johnson, Scott Dan, Barry Ferguson, Cameron Jerome. These guys were still there at the time, and um, we knew they wanted to go. Like it was obvious, but they were top pros. They were doing their job. Again, I think Chris really helped with that. He was respectful to them. He he did things the right way, and and, and they uh, responded to that. So. Um, they really helped help me kind of settle in, and then the new guys as well. You know, the Chris Burks, Wade came a bit later. Um, Trying who else would have been new? Chris came in. Came in yeah, Fozzie was there, of course. There's another pro that was going to leave. Played a couple of preseason games with Fozzie, and then um, Boz Myhill came in and stuff. And 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 so yeah, it was it was it was strange because there was this like. Um, the door was revolving, you know, coming in and yeah. going out kind of thing. And um, so that was a little strange, but everybody was like so professional and just did the stuff and, and never messed around and never got selfish. And so it helped us lay a foundation even before the guys left. And yeah, the names I mentioned there, I've got a ton of respect for every one of them because it's easy to... to to, to act up when you're on the way out, you know, but they yeah. guys were respectful of the club and the, the staff and us guys coming in and did the best job to integrate us before they went. Yeah. And and just on that that sort of season, as Tom said, you know, pr- pretty long season. And it's, I think it's probably quite rare that, you know, maybe the focal part, of course, you know, we wanted to get back up and, and get back in the premiership, but you know, August of that season, you know, we're sort of in that sort of final qualifying uh, sort of game, two-legged game against Nathaniel. Um, how did that go? What what was it like for you? Because, I mean, it, I mean, it was, it, obviously, it was uncharted territory for Birmingham. And, uh, <laughs> Definitely. Know, so, yeah, how was that, that sort of away game? Yeah, the, um, the, I was fortunate enough that I'd experienced European football with Newcastle. So, you know, played a couple of Champions League games and, I don't know, two or three Europa League games. So to, to have that opportunity was a big selling point for me coming to Birmingham. I was yeah. really excited that, you know, I, I nobody says it at the time, but I was like, yeah, it's probably my last chance in Europe. You know, I don't know if I'm going to I'm going to snag another European club if I leave Birmingham or we're going to get in Europe again. Um, so I was I was aware of that um, and I was excited to, to, to savour every second of it. And uh, the away game, we, we battered them. Brilliant to go away there and Madeira, and it was a strange place. It went up, kind of. It was kind of like an altitude. I don't know altitude, but it was high up. It was the oxygen yeah. was a bit less. And okay. we played there. We, we we played them off the park. We we had a post two or three times. I think I, I think had, you hit the post. I did. I did. <laughs> we had header or something. And so we should have won, and we never. So we kind of knew we had the measure of them. And we're heading back to St Andrews and. You know, I actually want to ask you guys a question, but one of the top 10 nights in my playing career was was that night. It was absolutely electric. I'll never forget it. When you watch back the video, it's like, you know, back in the days when fans were living in stadiums, you can't see a space, can you? It's like every seat has yeah, a head. Especially the Redmond goal. That, that one. Oh, my gosh. So, so the... The build-up of the tension leading to that, you know, the kickoff, and we're like, we know we're better than these, but you're still got that anxiety and that desperation to win. And, and when Nathan scored scored the goal, was just the eruption, and and it settled us. And that, and I, I mean, I'm assuming you guys were there. Like, what was it like? Was it 
was yeah. it incredible <laughs> as I remember it? Well, 27,000 in doesn't happen that often, to be honest. No. So, um, <laughs> certainly doesn't at the moment. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think that, and we'll, we'll come on to the Bruges game, but there, there are a couple of instances that, I mean, those two games, and we, we played in a, a cup semi-final at St Andrews, um, which would have been, yeah, I guess the season, probably 12 months before that, whatever. Yeah. And it was chaos then, utter chaos. And then there's Villa games, but that's different, different sort of reasons why. But I actually felt, certainly against uh, Bruges, which we come up onto, I could actually feel the ground shaking when we scored. And I've never, ever, I got to the point where you sort of get involved with and thinking, shit, is this actually going to fall down? But, you know, <laughs> well, it's uh, falling down now. Which is quite ironic because it's now closed. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, those, those European nights, and, you know, we did ourselves a huge amount of, of credit. You know, I think, not obviously qualifying is one thing. And then we, you know... You're How we to, didn't actually get out of the group <clears throat> is still beyond me. I, I still think it's, it's the highest points tally not to get through to the next round. People yeah. have gone through on eight and nine points. Yeah. But then that leads us on to like what you class, okay, probably not Champions League sort of um, uh, sort of every season in there, but the likes of Braga and Maribor and, and Bruce, they've all had their sort of moment in the sun. So what, did, what were your memories from those games, maybe the away fixtures and the supporters? Because I mean, it was, I mean, I didn't look at, I didn't get, I didn't get to go to the away game. I didn't get to go either, but my granddad well, must have been absolutely Certainly, I think it was the Maribor one that just looked ridiculous. It was um, it was incredible. We um, we the Bruges game was was phenomenal. There was there was thousands and thousands of Blues fans in the city, and my my two friends went actually. They got on a ferry, God knows for where, somewhere in England, and and they went. And they were, the, the, one's a my new fan, one's a sort of semi Leeds fan. They went because I was playing and they thought, this this sounds like a good trip. And <laughs> my, my mate, who's a Man U fan, he's been a Man U fan since he was born. His dad was the biggest Man U fan, season ticket holder, been everywhere, everywhere. And he still says it's in his top kind of five trips <laughs> all the time. He doesn't even support the team. You know, he said it was incredible. He loved it. They were, you know, boozing the whole three days and celebrating and the way the goal went in at the end and... Yeah, the performance and that was that was unbelievable. What a night! Um, Maribor was, was special as well. We, we played really well. We saved our best stuff for for the games for sure. Yeah, still don't know how we we never got anything for Braga because we we played brilliant that night as well. I think the penalty. Did, did Ziggy miss a penalty? Yeah, he did. Was it Wade? There was the, Ziggy took it and missed, and Wade should have took it and. Ah, it was all this, you know, these stories that you remember. It could have been so different, uh, but to get the ten points and and not get there is was was destroyed. Like we were getting sort of tired by that point. So did we want to get to like you know the sort of latter stages? That would be amazing. But we knew that the games were piling up. But we just wanted to get to that knockout round yeah. and play the biggest team. I can't remember. One of them could have been anybody, couldn't it? Somebody like that. We wanted like yeah. the the biggest of the biggest, one last brilliant home and away uh, game, and that was it. But I uh, I loved that, and I actually had to beg to play in a few of the games. I'll never forget. Chris was was sort of like, right, I'm resting you this game and that game, and you need to be ready for Sunday for the the, the, the league. And I'm like, please let me play. I remember 
I think it was Braga, actually. I wasn't in the team, and I, Chris or oh, Gaffer, I called him. Gaffer, just let me play. I want to play so bad. I'll be fine on Sunday. I'll recover. And, and, and you know, one time he's like, right, okay, you're in. And then I think another time, maybe one of the home games, he, he left me on the bench. But I wanted to play every minute, every game in that campaign, just because I knew how special it was. And when we were on the plane coming back with, with some of the fans and stuff and coming up to us and, you know, you could see what it meant to them. It just yeah. makes it all that more special uh, to be involved in it. Just tremendous. And do, do you, I mean, I know this is, the, you know, I guess the standard question that every, every gets levelled at everybody that plays in, in Europe, certainly in the Europa. I mean, we were knocking on the door um, to sort of go up that season. Do you think we ran out of a bit of steam? Do you think it maybe took its toll a little bit or, or were we just not good enough? Uh, we were certainly good enough. We... We were more than good enough. I actually thought we were going to get top two at one point. And then, yeah, the, 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 the run out of steam thing's a, a fair question. Um, I think when you look at it, Bo's injured his finger. Uh, I injured my groin a couple ago. So there, there's two starters. Stevie was, was, was in and out, Stevie Carr. And, so, so we started to pick up like some key injuries, you know, to, to guys that we never had the biggest squad uh, for obvious reasons. So, yeah, you, you probably could say it was that, but maybe these things happen anyway. Like, hindsight's a wonderful thing. It's easy yeah. to say, but yeah. when you're playing 60 plus games in a season, it's it's severe, you know, and, and a lot of the guys are playing. I don't know how, like, Berkey did it. Berkey's running like 13 kilometers every game and high intensity and scoring and setting goals up galore. It just had a remarkable season, uh, as did a lot of guys like Marlon King was, was incredible and Curtis yeah. was great. And we, we, we really like, we all played somewhere near our maximum and it was just a shame that in the end we, we got some key injuries and we, we sort of run out of steam and we never quite had that momentum heading into the last eight, ten games and, and, and in the playoffs that that the other teams had, that Blackpool had, for example, you know, yeah. just a shame that we had just sort of like run out of steam a little bit. Um, yeah. I suppose kind of on Blackpool a bit, obviously you missed out on the semi-final with an injury. How how was that for you kind of mentally missing out on such a big game? And do you, do you ever kind of look back and think maybe I could have, stop that from happening or if you you know if you watch the goals do you ever feel like you could have played a part and maybe we could have won because I thought we were very unlucky extremely yeah unlucky. yeah I think that um I've missed big games before you know like I missed two Carling Cup semi-finals for two separate suspensions and one of them was a, a crazy yellow card I took at Turf Moor and a a third round replay of the FA Cup and I'll never forget it and I'll never get over it because I was just mouthing at the ref and he gave me a yellow and it's my fifth booting so you know we, we do crazy things when we think it's life and death at the time and um, and so you miss games and then we injury you just sort of like it happens it's part and parcel of the game and I ruptured my adductor at, at Portman Road um, so you know I tore my adductor off the ball and it was like it's a big injury. It's quite severe. Yeah, it's not an and, uh, and it's not like you're nearly there. You, you've got no adductor, you know. But I, the, let's say that's a 10, 12-week injury. I think the playoff final was probably like seven or eight weeks from that that injury. 
And I said to myself, and I probably needed this to get over the disappointment, I'm going to play in the playoff final. I'm going to be fit. I'm going to get ready. Yeah. And so I just did everything, guys. Like, I, I, I walked out with the oxygen mask on, you know, I, I slept right. I did everything that everybody said. I iced every second that people asked me to ice, and I stayed off my feet. And Because I just said, I'm playing in this playoff final. And I was really felt like it was destiny that I was going to be fit for that game and we were going to win at Wembley again. And um, and so, yeah, I, I was I was never really contemplating we weren't going to win till the final whistle went at St Andrews and we, we were out and the season's done. And then the disappointment hit that I was injured and that the, uh, the, the, the sort of like disappointment in not being at another playoff final was, was there. So, um, yeah, it was, I think that, I think if we had everybody fit, we would have beat Blackpool, but... It's Easily, easy. yeah. Yeah. I, I don't... Honestly, I've watched the game back a few times, both both legs, and I don't think Blackpool even particularly played well. I no. think that the passion and drive from them was there, obviously, because, it, you know, it's a semi-final, but there were goalkeeper blunders. There were kind of... It was... It was just very, I suppose, individual mistakes a lot of the time and just very unfortunate. Um, yeah, it's it's funny that John said earlier that we run out of steam and even at St Andrews, I just thought we were a bit flat. I really did, you know. So so sometimes that's to do with like it's one thing having the physicality go and play a game. It's another thing to just keep getting up and up and up and yeah. up for like big games. It's it's challenging. And um we had some younger guys at, in that second leg and it was probably just came too soon for them, you know. Yeah. And so I think that yeah. With experience like Fergie was playing for Blackpool and um, and things like that, their kind of know-how just shaded it for them. But they weren't a better team than us. And if we had everybody fit, we would have won. I think. Yeah, Definitely. and and I suppose that then led led to Chris moving on uh, and Lee coming in. Did you know Lee from your time at Newcastle? Did you did your paths ever cross? Yeah, I knew uh, Lee Clark really well. Um, just. It was always great to me when I saw him in Newcastle and I played against him when he was at Fulham and, you know, I had friends who were his friends and so there was a, a real kind of connection there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we had never been teammates, but, yeah, I, um, I felt comfortable when I'm coming in. You know, I, I was really bitterly disappointed that Chris left. I sort of, like, the minute I got that call and I knew that, I just, I really felt like that pit your stomach feeling that it just wasn't going to be good and yeah. um, and then you know you you, you you learn how to deal with stuff in, in professional football and they just dealt with it move on and hear that, that Lee Clark's coming in I'm like oh well this could be good and I felt like we made some good signings in that summer and I really thought wow we're set up again we're going to be we're going to be kicking on Nugget Europe it's going to help us you know with the age of some of our guys just sort of like five ten less games yeah uh, yeah we'll win the league I really started that season I'm like we will win this championship I honestly felt that and and when we were lucky enough to have Lee on about two two three weeks ago yeah and um it, it, fair play to him I mean it, it I think it's it is uh, Tom forgive me if I'm wrong but I think he's probably our top ranked uh pod that we've done so because he was so bloody honest and and I think his time and we've said this to quite a lot of players that maybe have left Blues under a bit of a cloud because, you know, it's that sort of time to great healer. 
And I think what's happened since Lee's moved on, it puts into context what he actually did uh, by keeping us in the division. And he sort of went into quite a lot of detail around, I suppose, the being sold the dream and signing the contract. And then two weeks after the dream is gone, the nightmare begins and it's shed all your players. So did you feel that as a playing squad quite early in the season that things were shifting between obviously Chris coming out and Lee coming in and maybe the whole financial position of the club? Um, so for me, the worst thing that a club can do when they, they lose or sack a manager is, is bring in another manager who's different. Uh, doesn't mean worse or better. It just means different. And I think the first mistake that Birmingham made was that Chris Hewitt and Lee Clark were different, different the way that they went about things and different the way that we played. And um, I don't think that he was necessarily the right appointment for that squad at that time. Now, if you've got time yeah. and you can transition and, you know, you, you then make the squad yours, then eventually everybody wants it to be in their style. But unfortunately, as, as he was trying to change things and, and some new players had came in and were sort of developing a, another style of play, we weren't winning games. Um, and, and then the confidence starts to go. And when the confidence goes within a squad, it, 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 it leaves individuals, it leaves players, it obviously leaves coaches and, and, and management staff because they wonder what the, the heck's going wrong. Yeah. Uh, and then it becomes like a, a a global team thing, you know? Yeah. And then it's like you get a little bit selfish, you might say, and go like, well, how do I fix myself? And and so there becomes like this uh fracture of the the, the culture as we say these days, we used to see yeah. a team put it back in the day, but basically the culture of the squad was changing. Yes. And I was one of the leaders in the dress room and, you know, Stevie was a club captain, but I was often the playing captain back then. And I was trying to hold this together for the club and for my, my mate, who was the head coach, the manager, you know, um, yeah. and I was fiercely loyal to Lee Clark. Um, and, in the end, I was disappointed that I didn't think he reciprocated that fierce loyalty to me. Okay. And I will say that I wasn't playing great, you know, like, I have to say that. And you're probably going like, yeah, wait a minute, mate, you're letting me down, you know. But I just think that the things that were going on, the way that they were made up, I, I just had hoped that he would kind of give me the benefit of the doubt a bit longer and ultimately drop me and our trust kind of, like, changed a little bit then. And... Um, and then, then it's difficult to lead when you've lost that that sort of like cachet, you know. And yes, yeah, so get that. It was challenging. It was a hard year. My, my, my family were in the northeast, back to to Newcastle area, uh, and the year before. But the year before it was fine. I was playing games all the time. Yeah. running. That this year I'm going like I'm missing my kids. Um, you know, I found myself back there on a Wednesday day off and struggling to get in the car to go back to my apartment in Birmingham because. I didn't want to leave the kids. And, and so I had this kind of personal stuff going on. I wasn't playing well. The situation was bad. We were losing games. And it was an awful year. And um, and there's, 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 I don't believe in blaming anybody in, in football. I think you look at yourself, you look hard in the mirror. I was taught that by my dad. Like, look in the mirror and ask yourself, could you did everything? Could, did you do your best? And uh, I, I don't think I had my best season by any stretch of imagination. But I think that, unfortunately, again... 
there was too many guys that were saying the same thing as they looked yeah. at their mirror, you know? Yeah. And yeah. and it was a disaster. And um, and I've not actually seen Lee since then. I'm no no gripes against them at all. Things happen in football. We shook hands when I left. Um, he's still a great guy. I'd have a pint with him anytime. I actually bumped into Steve Watson once in, in Manchester when I was at my brother's and and we had a good little blather and a good chat. And like, I idolised these guys. These guys are my heroes when I was growing up at Newcastle. And yeah. I used to steal Steve Watson's old boots and wear them like think I was a man because I was in the new Predator. And stuff like that. <laughs> I loved that guy and, and, and I still love them. I just, I never had a great year with them. This is what happens in the yeah. game. You know, and it's, yeah. I'm, I, you know, I have all my own beliefs on why it happened and that, but it doesn't make me right. It just, it's just my story of events, you know? Sure. I have um, an interesting question for you. It's a, it's uh, a bit of a bit of a tough one, I suppose. Kind of looking at that time, I know you said that you felt like you could really win the league with the squad you had going into that second season. And like you say, you know, the appointment of Lee Clark, two different managers. Instead of a promotion season, it became a transitional period, and um, we finished mid-table in the end. But uh, you know, as a player. Did you have your eye on any managers at the time that you would have liked to have come in and uh, took charge of that blue squad? Uh, no, not at all. I don't. I don't think it's a player <laughs> place to even like think like that. I just you, you, you just want that security as a player and that consistency, you know. So, like I said, I just think it should have been a guy that was a bit closer to, to Chris, and maybe they thought. That, that Lee was like that, but I just never, that's not the experience that I had in one year working with, with Lee Clark. Like I just found them really different for Chris and I thought the message got muddled and and I felt like we got to a point where we never really knew what, what we were going out there to do, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's done brilliant at other clubs and, you know, like I said, it's, I, I, I hope you don't think I'm like having a dig at, at, at Lee Clark, you know, right? it's no. just not the case. It's, I'm just trying to explain the situation uh, in amongst like the chaos and the panic, like no winning games for a club as big as Birmingham and thinking you're going to win the league. You're going like, why the hell are we losing like 5-0 at home to Barnsley? Like you just you cannot... <laughs> You cannot no, explain I, I, I was that. with you on that. <laughs> I couldn't believe that either. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I, I just like things were happening like that that was like hard to fathom while it's going on, you know. And um, and I just think that um, if I think Chris would have had better answers for that, I, I, I yeah. don't know who would have been. Yeah. I, th- I think in, fa- in fairness to what you're saying, and, and when Lee came on, as I said, he was very, very frank, very candid with what he was saying. Yeah. And he said that, yeah, I mean, he, he was in tears when he when he obviously left the club, but he, at no point did he say, he said, you know, if he had his time again, he, he, he did make mistakes, you know, he's man enough to say that. And I think there was probably an element of it was just absolute chaos behind the scenes where... I think that was probably a massive distraction for him because I think he was spinning lots of plates and maybe his focus from that sort of day to day, maybe getting some sort of structure on the pitch. It was just all over the gaff and it and it just didn't it didn't turn out well for him. But I think from your point of view, Stephen, I mean that that first season for you, I mean, and I'm speaking from a personal point of view, there are certain seasons in the last sort of 20, 30 years where okay, yeah winning promotions and, 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 you know, Premier League and then winning the cup. But it was, that season was just like, I don't know what it is. 
special. It was an amazing kit for a start. Yeah. You oh, know, yeah, just, was, just the amount of fucking fans at St Andrews in those European nights and some bloody good players that didn't play for the club for long, but we all remember who you are. So I think yeah. for that, you know, uh, you know, massive thanks from from all the Blues fans because that you created memories that year and you, and you can't take those away. That that is for certain. So so when it came to an end, mate, what you obviously. You were struggling with Newcastle to Birmingham, so you, you took the leap and, and went a bit further afield. So, how did that come about? <laughs> um, yeah, it was a strange one. Like I, I knew I was leaving, and um, it was it was clear that there was more kind of slashing coming to the to the wage bill and stuff like that. And so, I was starting to kind of look at my options. And and it, like I said to you guys, it's such a tough year. It, uh, it was like it was traumatic almost in that I was like tired, you know, and I was like, Oh God, what's next? What do I need? You know? And I was thinking of championship and, um, Toronto came up, Toronto, the option uh, Toronto came up. It's kind of, I mean, was that just random or your agent sort of got a call or what? <laughs> before I went to Birmingham, uh, I think it was before, maybe it was in the middle. There was some talk about New York Red Bulls and, um, Andy Roxburgh was going in there, a Scottish guy, and um, he might have been taking someone that I knew. And so I was like, it was mentioned to me, would you think about MLS? Yeah, I, absolutely. It's What's it like? Is it getting better? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it sounds like it's getting better. So I did think about MLS, and then I got that call, and my agent's like, you should, um, Toronto are interested, they want you to kind of go next week. This was like mid-May when uh, our season was just coming to an end. And um, I said, absolutely not. There's no way I could go next week. Um, I need a break. I need to see my kids. I need to recharge. Like, it's been a tough year. I can go in July. And he's like, well, they want you immediately. They need a player soon as. Uh, he said, call Ryan Nelson. Uh, Ryan Nelson, okay. Blackburn, Tottenham. You're a great guy. I said, I know I played against Ryan, but I don't know him. Call Ryan Nelson and, and explain it to him. Great guy. You, you'll, you'll enjoy your chat. So I go in the phone in my apartment in, in uh, uh, Gasworks in Birmingham, and um, I call I call Ryan Nelson, and five ten minutes later, I've agreed to go to Toronto. Like in three days time, <laughs> <laughs> he was just I said, oh, I appreciate it. I'm coming a bit. Like, I need you now. Here's why. Blah blah blah. And again, he understood. We need leadership. We need someone who can. Get these young lads on track. We need someone who's kind of played at a level, knows what it takes, da da da. And I've just read, oh my God, that sounds perfect. Then I've said, right, I'm coming. I'll come. And he said to me, I'll never forget. I said, look, I've got a holiday booked to to to, uh, to Florida, and I've got somewhere booked in Barbados, and I had this trip planned with my parents and my family. And he said, no, it'll be cool. You can. Come here and you, you can get that, but like, he's telling me all these lies. Just yeah, I love it. I love it. Maybe MLS is different, but you can have a, a holiday in the middle. You know, I'm going like, oh, this is cool. And when I get there, I'm saying, maybe you said I could. He said, no, 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 that's not going to happen. That, eh? <laughs> Brilliant. I'll be free. Brilliant. Talk, you can't do that, you know. <laughs> so, close the hold. Um, took a leap of faith again. Stepped on the the plane. Went there. Sacrificed again. And best decision I ever made. The minute I got there, I'm like, perfect for me. The sort of eight-week loan, I kind of had that buffer, but I knew after a week I wanted to be there for 
for the, the long term, probably to the end of my career. And uh, that's how it turned out. I signed a kind of two and a half year deal. And eight years later, I'm, I'm still here in some capacity. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so just, um, mate, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Really, really, really enjoyed, enjoyed it. it. Um, we, we, get, I think Blues' current situation is probably similar to the, your traumatic year, your traumatic <laughs> second year. So, Given, um, I mean, Blues are, they turned a little bit of a corner, big game tonight, but um, they're missing a bit of substance in the team, missing something. Um, so out of your two seasons at Blues, which would be the one player that you would maybe take out of one of those teams from those two seasons, where who would have the biggest impact on maybe a team that's lacking a bit of confidence and lacking a bit of well, you just, you know, they're in the shit, to be honest, and we need somebody to buy them out. What what player would you, from your memories, would you chuck in there? Other than oh, yourself. Wow. What a question. What a question. Um, oh, go, going on the two years, um, I think, I mean, some great characters, it's so hard to answer this. I'm thinking, like, you know, <laughs> They could definitely do a Stephen Carr leading them and his quality and just what he brings to the whole environment. And, and Curtis was was brilliant, great partner for me. We we had a real understanding. But just on that, that mainly that first year, but sheer talent and drive was was Chris Burke. I have to say, my mate Burke. You know, he was just yeah. incredible. Good job. Oh, what a performance he, he put in every week. Just relentless and uh, and the goals and output that he had I'd have to say Chris Buck he would really take that team in that form to another level I'd say well I'm sure if we've got one of the players in from from that season because I think it, yeah. it needs it it really does so yeah. uh, I think that's a brilliant shout um, so yeah so mate that's been Tom have you got any last questions or I suppose one more from me yeah just a just a quick one would be where does kind of that Europa League run rank for you in your career? Uh, definitely in the top oh, three seasons in my career. Maybe pushing for one, really mean that. It was like it was that much fun. It was, uh, yeah, it was just, it was just game recover, game recover. You know, uh, it, was, it was incredible. We, Wade and I were teammates at Burnley. We were kind of on our own in Birmingham and we hung about a lot and we we uh, were still very good friends to this day with Elliot and I so you know I loved hanging out with him and had a lot of fun we had a lot of fun as well like it wasn't all serious and work and uh, when you're winning games it just flies by so it was up there it was it was very very special and um, yeah like I'm, I'm really am guys I'm privileged that I've played with a club like Birmingham like I, I'm not just saying it I love playing with that team everywhere we went in the city Blues fans coming up to us, appreciating what we did, and um, and playing in front of the fans was was so special. It's um, it's an absolute honour to have to have played for Birmingham and uh, fond fond memories. That's brilliant, yeah. and uh, you know, if you ever decide to become a football manager, you know, feel free to make the uh, the trip over the pond. Uh, it wouldn't take me a second to decide that. I'll tell you, I'd be back in a in a heartbeat because it's about the people. Any top club is about the people. Uh, people involved with that football club, the fans, the heartbeat are uh, are exceptional. So I'd be back in a second. Brilliant. Right, Stephen, thank you so much for your time. I, you know, good luck with everything over there. Um, hope family is safe and, uh, 
you know, we, we'll get out the other side of this bloody horrible pandemic and we get back to some sort of normality. But as I yeah. said, thanks for everything you did for the club. That season was uh, literally etched in stone in, in, in the fabric and in everything that we, there is about the club. So thanks very much for your time. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Right, that's it. Thanks, uh, everybody, for viewing and downloading. Um, again, yeah, another brilliant guest on, on the pod. Uh, so, yeah, please remember to subscribe to our channels, download. Uh, but for now, stay safe and keep right on. Sports Social Podcast Network. Can I get a whoop whoop? I'm Lacey Green, and I'm a super trainer at Body. That's B O D I dot com. And you know what's missing from the entire fitness industry? A program for beginners only. Not anymore. I've created a program called For Beginners Only, and it is for everybody and everybody. It's a three week program only on Body, the world's first health esteem platform. That means it's a place for you to work on loving who you are right now as you work on who you are becoming. I'll ease you into exercise with low-impact cardio, strength, core, and mobility workouts that will help you feel great as soon as you get started. I'll help you build your foundation and show you how simple it can be to make a change just by showing up. It's for beginners only because I want you to know you can do it, and I want you to get results. Let's find the joy and drop the judgment. And whoop, whoop. Now get $89 in free bonus gifts when you sign up at body.com. Just what you need to start your fitness journey. For details, go to body.com. That's body with an I.com. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share box ready to go. Your mates are already booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 